would be so nice. Hey, last week, um, I, I made a couple comments, and I, and I got some pushback. <laughs> feedback. Let's call it feedback. Um, I made the comment that, that we are living in a day and age that we can live exclusively online. Um, that wasn't meant as, as bagging on anybody who is staying at home to, to, because they feel safer at home, all right? Those of you at home, that was not meant that way at all. Um, throughout history, over the 2,000 years of Christianity, things happen, right? Plagues and national catastrophes, and, and, and things happen that we, we can't gather and, and, and be together. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure I, I, I'd lay my bottom dollar, but I don't bet, so, you know. Um, those of you who are at home, you, my guess is that you wish you could be here. If the, right, if COVID were all gone, this is where you would want to be. And we recognize that, and God recognizes that and, and, and honors that. So just kind of want to lay that right out there. Um, this morning, I want to talk about, um, just very briefly here, uh, an organization that we have in the state of Washington. This county has it. Franklin and Benton County both have it. Um, it it's called um, Communities and Schools. And what Communities and Schools is all about is it's an organization that recognizes that learning, right, learning for a child, learning facts and information um, is way more involved. There, there's way more in variables than simply the child's mind, Right? We recognize this in schools, and again, communities and schools recognizes this. Um, they see that good nutrition, enough sleep, plenty of exercise, and now thankfully added to the list, uh, mental and emotional health evaluations, um, healthy home checks, right? Is, is home a safe place? Um, they're even allowing churches to participate, right? I, I love this, this, this recognition that community and schools has that that the child is, is a whole person, not just a little brain walking around, right? Their body, mind, soul, and spirit. They're a, they're a whole entire person. Um, so these, this community and schools, so they not only recognize the, the, the multifacetedness of us as individuals, children, right? Um, but they also recognize the fact that the child doesn't exist in a vacuum. The child learns best when the whole community supports, not just the teachers, Right? Not just the school system, but all of the institutions in society, when we all partner together. And I, I love the picture. You see that picture, the, the, the different color, all kind of partnering. I just I love that, that, that imagery. Um, so this is all pretty, much, pretty common knowledge, right? That, that we are multifaceted individuals. We're not just spirit. And the fact that we aren't just individuals, we exist within a community, Right? We, we have a body of Christ here, and we also we have a, a community that we live in, live and die and play and work and, you know, outside of, outside of this place. So, in fact, we, we believe this so much that we participate. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we participate in communities and schools. We have our, our Carmichael Project, Carmichael Middle School. Um, and we are recognizing, along with communities and schools, that, that for a child to learn, the whole person has to be addressed. There's, there's just a lot of things that need to be addressed in a young child's life for them to really learn everything that we want them to learn and to get the outcomes that we expect. It's not just a little brain walking around. And, and this, this is incredibly strange um, because many believers, maybe you, maybe, maybe, maybe not you, um, we actively pursue what, what we have termed, and I think we've wrongly termed them this, this will make more sense as I continue. We pursue spiritual disciplines with a vengeance. 
Boy, these, these, I mean, hit that next slide there. We got regular Bible study, daily devotions, prayer, meditation, fasting, communal worship, tithes and offerings. These, these are all very internal spiritual things, right? Very important. And we list these and we, we grade ourselves on this. We, we, we have calendars and, and the, the, we, we figure these things are so, so, so incredibly important. But in recognizing what communities and schools is all about and what they recognize and that we recognize by participating with them, is that why don't we have physical devotions? I'm not sure that's the right word. Physical, mental, emotional, psychological disciplines and habits. Why aren't they considered essential? And I think the world is coming around to acknowledge in this, but, but I have a, a sneaking suspicion that we will lag behind because we have such a strong identity in spiritual stuff that many of us, we tend to ignore what Douglas was talking about, our, our, our bodies. Not just our physical bodies, our, our emotions, our mental state, right? That's been in the news huge lately, and for good reason. I mean, this is real. So again, the schools recognize this, the church supports it, but do we practice it? Do we treat ourselves as multifaceted beings or do we just treat ourselves as spiritual beings, right? Here's what I found. One little tiny false belief. Just one, one little tiny false belief. Just an insidious false belief. Just one. It's been infecting the way we view ourselves, the way we view our neighbors, the way we view God, the way we view his creation, and the way all of that interacts and lives with one another and serves one another. All, all, all of that gets just kind of tweak, gets messed up just a little bit because of this one little false belief. I want to share that, and I kind of, I'm going to kind of weave it into our passage this morning. So let's start at the very beginning, Genesis 1. You notice I have no verses there. And God created, and it was all good, right? You can read through chapter 1, and it's, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's really, really good. It's all good. It's amazing. It's fantastic, right? Where there was once death, desert, barren waste, now life flourishes, and, not li and life flourishes because everything in creation is living for the benefit of something else. Nothing exists in creation for its own benefit. Everything in God's creation serves one another and, in the, and by extension serves the whole creation. We're, we're all incredibly connected. Not only aspects of our personality and our personhood, but our person within community. And we have this nasty habit of trying to make our... Our, our spiritual life private and out of the spotlight, and that it's not scriptural. We make a private decision, but it should become very, very public. Otherwise, it's, it's questionable. <laughs> Scripture says that. God created, and it was all good. And this is part of the reason that God, even before sin, recognized this. He said, hey, six days, right? Co-create with me. Let's partner. And then what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to take a day off occasionally. And I'm going to ask you, I can say command, but I'm going to ask you to take a day off, one day a week, and enjoy what we have created. Go and enjoy creation. Because if you don't, you're going to get so wrapped up in achieving, you're going to end up with a burden that you were not meant to carry. I need you to play. Right? And, then, and all those of us who are super spiritual, oh, oh no, 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 no. Right? Sense of humor in the church, no, no. It, and God's like, no, stop it. 
Enjoy this creation. It's all a fantastic, beautiful, good creation. Go out and enjoy it. Yeah, it's broken a little bit, but it's still beautiful. It's still amazing. Go out and enjoy it. We're going to be talking about that next week. What does it mean to rest? So not only does he have that seven-day cycle that he instituted, but he also instituted a whole bunch of festivals, like seven, I think seven total festivals. He's basically telling the Israelite people, you will have fun. Right? Don't get so serious that life becomes a drag. Enjoy life. This is a beautiful life I've given you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. But then we mess things up. Right? Chapter 3 of Genesis, sin enters the created order, and death, which had always been a possibility, becomes a horrible fact and reality for the humans. But by way of the death and resurrection of Jesus, sin and death become non-possibilities, literally non-possibilities. Listen to how John records the, what, what I like to call, and this wasn't my idea, I read that, I can't remember where I read it, the end of the beginning, right? In other words, it's only after what this happens, I'm about to show you, and right now, this is the book of Revelation, chapter 21, only after this happens, life begins, right? We're at the, we're at the end of the beginning now, and now, when this concludes, then life really begins, right? Everything that we've experienced so far is the very beginning, but this is the end of the beginning. Listen to this. This is Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any seed. You remember in chapter 1 of Genesis, everything was barren and lifeless and void, and everything was covered with water. Like the possibility of life even if there was a possibility of life, it's buried underwater. So it's like there's, there's just no possibility of life. There's, it's impossible. And now there's no longer any seed. Nothing buries the possibility of life. Nothing will stop the abundant life from arriving. Nothing. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And again, we get this idea that there's going to be this huge destruction. That's, that's not biblical at all. The old way is going to pass away and the new way is going to enter. Verse 2. And three, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, right, look, our answers have been, our, our prayers have been answered, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it happened. Heaven and earth are reunited. Like, look, look, and it continues, verse three, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Right? This was the plan all along, that God would be all in all. Right? By defeating both sin and death, Jesus makes it all possible. When God in Christ is all in all, then sin and death are no longer even possibilities because God's presence, now listen carefully, God's presence makes darkness, sin, and death not it's just, it's just not. It's, not. it's not. See, when God, God's presence is gone, then you have those things. They aren't created things. They're just the absence of God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then verse 5, this is the kicker. He who was seated on the throne, the lamb, the lion of Judah, right, Jesus Christ, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
So, so we have this good, good, good creation. It got wrecked. It got marred by sin, but he's, he's in the process. It's already started, and it's going to be completed. Everything will be made new again. Everything is good. Everything is good. And we have a world that tells us not, right, that this world is horrible. It's going to hell in a handbasket, blah, 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 blah. That's not biblical. Don't believe it. So God created what God created is good. In fact, whatever God creates is good because God is good. To do anything otherwise would be to deny his very existence, his, his self. Right? It'd be like asking a rock to be a butterfly. The rock can't pull that off. Right? God can't be mean. God can't be evil. It, it is literally because his nature is good. John, in 1 John, he tells us his very essence is love. Love can't be hate. It, it, that, no, not, it's not possible. Not possible. So creation is good. And what sin marred, Jesus redeems and makes new again. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, and I think you believe it is too, it's strange how we talk about spiritual issues, right? Like there are spiritual issues in this pile, and over here there are non-spiritual issues. Over here is Bible reading, devotions, prayer, fasting. Over here is In-N-Out Burger, <laughs> Desperate Housewives, <laughs> life. Life, life. Life is over here. Good, bad. Where did we get this idea that this is, this is not biblical? If you were to ask Jesus, how, hey, Jesus, how's your spiritual life? Right? Can you imagine that? He would look at you like, what is wrong with you? What are you, what are you talking about? Everything is spiritual. My father created everything, and he said everything was good. His presence permeates everything that is alive. Therefore, everything good is spiritual. All of creation is spiritual. And that one little false belief, that, that duality, right, this idea that there are certain things that are good and certain things that are bad. Therefore, there are certain things that are spiritual and certain things that are not spiritual. That, that is not in the Bible. That is, that is Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism says creation is bad. Only spirit is good. Good and the rest of our lives, it don't matter. It just doesn't matter because it's not spiritual. The Bible never says that. Never even implies that. In a nutshell, Gnosticism says all created matter is evil, only spirit is good. But again, it's not what the Bible says. Creation is good, therefore everything is spiritual. Now, there are places that are dedicated and holy. There's clean and there's unclean, but everything is spiritual because everything matters to God. Why? Because God created everything and everything was good. Everything is to correlate to everything else in love to one another. Now, connected to this idea... I'm kind of working on this. Creation is good, and therefore everything is spiritual. Kind of one, one last proof behind that before I move on. This idea that God's presence in the goodness of his creation, there is a biblical theme that creation has always been and will always be the Lord's sanctuary. Right? This place that some of us call bad, our Heavenly Father calls his sanctuary. This makes everything doubly good, doubly spiritual, right, if anything. There is no time of day, season of year, or place in all creation that is not sacred to be consecrated as holy unto the Lord, right? Just let that settle in. 
There's no day, season of year, or place in creation that's not sacred to be consecrated as holy unto the Lord. Nothing. Because why? Everything is spiritual. Everything is good. This is what the prophet Isaiah is saying. Chapter 66, verse 1, he says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. All right, where is this house that you will build for me? Where is, where is my resting place to be? Has not my hand made all these things so that they come into being? What he's saying is they've come into being because of my presence. So what God created is good and alive by way of his very presence. Nothing exists, right, that's not permeated with God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of life. Therefore, everything is spiritual. Therefore, one more therefore. Hit that next slide there. Creation is good, therefore everything is spiritual, therefore take care of everything. And, and again, during this whole global war, I mean, war, we almost, we're almost coming to war with each other. Should we, should we love the creation or is that not important? Are humans way, way more important? God's word says they're both important. They both are interactive, right? They're connected. One suffers, the other will suffer. And we're seeing that. This is all just, this is, Right? Nothing in creation exists solely for its own benefit. Everything is created. Everything created is meant or intended to serve its neighbor and by extension, all of creation. Now, here's a kicker here. We're called to serve as priests. We're called to serve as priests. And the job of the priest is to mediate the intent of the one above to those below. We stand in the gap between our Heavenly Father and the world. We mediate. We explain His love. We show, we demonstrate His love to the world. We're, we're the in-between, right? We're that in-between. And then with our Heavenly Father co-creating that intent into a reality. So not only do we pass along the message, but we participate with Him in making it a reality, redeeming all things. Again, this is why Jesus went to the grave, regardless of our sin, to rescue all of creation from death and not just sinners from a second death. Right? Jesus Christ went into the grave to rescue all of creation, including sinners, but all of creation from here on out, death is no longer a possibility because Jesus Christ, God himself, has inhabited, incarnated the world. He is, he's in the flesh now. God the creator, he's not God the created. There's a difference between God the creator and God the creator. But in Jesus Christ, God the creator is in creation, is a part of creation. Hmm. The Gnostics would have it differently. Creation is bad, only spirit is good, therefore take care of nothing because <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? All, spirit, all, all material is, is evil. Who cares, right? Both the Gnostics and many believers today still believe in this. Rather, I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion, and I'm going to say this carefully, what I consider to be an unbiblical idea that Jesus is going to sweep in, take us all to some other place, which we're going to call heaven, and this place is just going to burn, <laughs> He's just going to light this place up and it's just going to be a big fireworks show. Nothing in Scripture points to that. Hollywood, artists and writers of the Middle Ages, the Schofield Bible, I, I just, I'm just going to name names here, the Left Behind series, these are the things that have led us to believe in a lot of these crazy things. They're not scriptural. They're not scriptural. 
In fact, one of John Wesley's favorite passages to preach from was Psalm 145, verse 9. In complete opposition to this Gnostic idea that nothing matters, Psalm 145, verse 9 said, The Lord is good. He has compassion on all he has made. That one little verse just struck John Wesley as, right, that, that's the gospel. It's not just for human beings. It's for all of creation. In John Wesley's mind, if Jesus died to redeem everything, and not just the sinner from that second death, right, the eternal separation from God death, but if Jesus died to redeem everything, then we cannot allow our spirituality to turn inward towards self, right? We just can't, we can't allow that to happen. We, we've just got to be so vigilant that it can't be all about us. It's got to be self-giving because that's what Jesus Christ demonstrated God to be self-giving, right? Others nurturing, which at first glance makes our, our sermon series kind of nonsensical, right? Here's, here's where I'm kind of concluding. Creation is good. Therefore, everything is spiritual. Therefore, take care of everything starting with yourself. And like Pastor Jerry, you just now said, don't turn inward on yourself. And now you're saying, start with yourself let me explain just a little bit. It all goes back to Genesis, right, and the, and the seven-day cycle, right? You need, you need to take care of yourself. God actually commanded you, stop being so doggone spiritual and go out and have some fun. Let me rephrase that. Go out and have fun, and we're going to call that spiritual because you're having fun in my creation, and you're not hurting anything. You're, you're loving each other, and you're, you're together, and, and people are being built up and lifted up, and souls soar, and God's just tickled. This is why he had all the festivals, right? Enjoy yourself. This is why he has a whole bunch of instructions on how to best care for the only body that you're going to get to do the things that he has called you to do. You only got one body. You're not going to get another one. I found that out. Again, I'm not just talking about physical stuff like rest and exercise, but, but talking about play and hobbies and, and managing emotional and mental stress and, and, and all that other stuff. We're going to look at all this stuff in this series. Um, we're calling our new series Take Care. And with this title and this image, we, we wanna, we're trying to say something here. Um, we're addressing something similar to what parents feel, right? When they're on an airline and the stewardess stands up and says, if we have an airline emergency, I want you to ignore your screaming kids and I want you to take care of yourself. Right? We're like, it goes against our very, very instincts. If you're a good mom or if you're a halfway decent dad, you, when the plane goes down, you take care of your loved ones, your little ones around you. you, you it's just natural. You just, you do that. You do that. that, that that's, that's what we do. Totally counterintuitive to take care of yourself first. But Dr. Joe Gorman, he, he writes a book, Healthy, Happy, and Holy. Dan and I are going to be working for this book for the next series for this series. Um, he says it makes more sense to secure your own mask first, right? He basically says you're not going to be any good to anybody, let alone your kids when you're passed out on the floor, right? Because you were so worried about getting, getting yourself all ready, or, or excuse me, getting your kids all ready and, and, and you pass out and, and now nobody's helping them, right? You, you, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of, of yourself. Theologian Parker Palmer writes this, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship, of the only gift that I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others, right? You're not your own. You were purchased at a price. That's what Dr. Palmer is saying. He continues, anytime we listen to true self and give it 
the care that it requires, we do so not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. So I think part of the problem is the way we read the second command of Jesus that he references from the book of Leviticus when the teachers and the Pharisees came up and asked him, trying to catch him, right? What's, what's, the, what's the most important of, of all the laws? What's the most important? Here, here's how he responds, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And I think we have a little bit of confusion on this, this passage here, which leads us to be Gnostic, <laughs> to, to believe that they're spiritual and then there's everything else and you need to keep them separated. Mark 12, verse 30. 30 says this, the most important one answer, Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your Lord, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I mean, right there, we're told you're multifaceted. You're not just spiritual. So let's just stop saying your spiritual life. Let's say your whole life is spiritual. Verse 31, this is, this is the one where we all get confused. The second is this, love your neighbors yourself. There's no greater commands, command than these. He like puts them together as one command, right? It can't be one and then the other or one or. It's yes, both and, one command. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. St. Catherine of Siena wrote this 650 years ago. You're, you are your chief neighbor. You are your first neighbor is what she's saying. You are your first neighbor. See, she had figured out that the Christian life is really a journey Yes, it's a journey about learning to love others and love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But she said the second part of that journey we tend to ignore. It's, it's learning how to love ourselves. Learning how to love ourselves um, as a journey of, of, of learning, right? It goes against the grain. Our natural instincts and everything that we've been taught, it just goes against the grain. Take care of yourself first. But it makes perfect sense. If we don't know how to love our neighbors... As a neighbor in need of love, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You, have you placed yourself in, in that love your neighbor as yourself? You stuck yourself in yourself, but you never saw yourself as the neighbor in need. And until you see yourself as one of the neighbors in need, you'll never figure out how to help that other neighbor in need. You won't recognize it. It won't make sense to you. You will say, oh, quit being a big baby. Right? Stop complaining. Right? You're going to be cold and you're going to be heartless because it won't make sense to you. But when you're really, really honest with yourselves, right? we, we're a little bit more honest with the people in need. Notice what Jesus said and what he doesn't say. He said, love your neighbors as yourself, not instead of yourself, right? not more than yourself. And we, we tend to like lean, we, we read into Right? We, we throw some of that in there, but, but, but that's not what it says. We, we just, we unintentionally color it with those lenses there instead of yourself or more than yourself. And he doesn't say love one or the other. He tells us to love both. Well, which one first? Yes. <laughs> right? It's like the chicken and the egg. Yes. You love both. You love both. It's not, it's not this and that. It, it's, it's this. And so, our natural instincts what our parents taught us, what our church taught us, maybe a little bit of a misreading, misunderstanding of Scripture, maybe a little bit of modern-day Gnosticism tossed in, all of these things, right, they contribute to our natural inclination to either not take care of ourselves 
Or we, or we go the other extreme opposite, like we incredibly overindulge ourselves because, hey, it doesn't matter. My spirit is only what matters. So all this stuff, I can, I can just trash the one gift I have because only spirit matters. Do you see how so that, that's so wrong? So all these things lead to our natural inclination to not take care of ourselves or overindulge. And this is exactly where the Gnostics arrived, right? Creation is bad, only spirit is good. Therefore, take care of nothing and either indulge yourself or deny yourself because it doesn't make a lick of sense. It doesn't make a lick of difference. It makes no difference whatsoever because your body is material and that is bad, so it doesn't matter. Only spirit is good. Trash your body, it don't matter. But Scripture tells us differently. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul has a radically different opinion. I want you to listen to this. He says, basically, everything you do for yourselves and for others by word or deed brings life or death. What you do with your body matters. It matters. Listen to Paul's words in closing. This is Colossians chapter 3. Start with verse 15. I'm going to go to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. And I want you to catch this one part here. As members of one body, that means that you have a responsibility, a huge responsibility to the person sitting next to you, that you will remain healthy and able to minister with your body, the only thing that God gave you in order to do what he's called you to do, to love your neighbor as yourself. If one part of the body goes down, all the other parts suffer. I'm finally beginning to recognize this. My wife has helped me recognize this. I have lived my life very physically on the edge, and I've paid. And she's made some comments, and very accurate comments. She said, you, you are hurt so often, and you were recouping so often that you can't do the things that you really want to do and what God's calling you to do. You're always injured. And it's like, oh, my goodness, Diane, you're, you're right. I've been kind of playing fast and loose like this body ain't no big deal. It's just my spirit that counts. No, I, I, I've got a few more years and I think God wants me to keep doing things with this body and he doesn't want it laying in a hospital bed because it doesn't do any good there, right? He wants me to be a living sacrifice, not a crippled sacrifice. Continue verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. I want you to catch that, all wisdom, not just spiritual wisdom, all wisdom, Right? All wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs with the Spirit, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Again, two things going on here. As we lift one another up, we're lifted up. I don't know if you recognize that. Scripture talks about that. The book of Romans talks about this. When we grieve with somebody else, their grieving is lessened. When we laugh with somebody, their joy is increased. It's the craziest, craziest thing. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whatever you do, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Everything you do or say matters because everything is spiritual. Even our physicalness matters to God, not just our spiritual state. Therefore, God commands to love him with all, to love him and our neighbor with all of our mind, you know, our brains, our body, right, our physicalness, our soul. I could have gotten into that today. A soul is like everything else, your attitude, your personality, 
the fact that you're always angry at somebody, all that other stuff, that, that, that's the soul. So you got the brain, you got the physical body, and you got all these crazy, crazy emotions, then you got your spirit. And God says, love me and love your neighbor with everything you got because everything you got is spiritual. Everything is good. Christ is redeeming anything that's not good. He's redeeming it. And eventually it will be redeemed. We know this. He loves you and is attentive to every single aspect of your life. He knows the hairs, the number of hairs on your head. And again, he spends a little bit less time doing that with some of us than others, but he knows that. He knows every detail. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. He loves everything about you, not just your mind, not just your funky body, not just your anything. He loves all of you, every bit of you. Don't discount any part of you. you. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for loving us, loving us completely, without reservation, holding nothing back. Father, your wish for us is shalom, right? That we would have everything that you intended, that that would all become a reality in our lives, Father. But it's going to take more than our minds. It's going to take our whole bodies as we physically incarnate the neighborhoods around us, as we, God with us into the neighborhood, into our schools. Thank you, Father, for this task that you've given us. Thank you for the power that you've given us to get it done. And thank you for the glory that you'll receive and that you'll turn back on us. And we turn it right back to you. Father, thank you for inviting us into, into, into the dance, the perichoresis, the, the God life, the complete God life. Father, thank you for this, that you took care of everything, everything. Thank you, Father, in your son's name I pray. Amen.